This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. If you haven't heard about Anchor, let me tell you, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Check this out. It is free. No, I'm serious. It's free, 100%. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor then distributes that podcast for you, and you can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can also make money from that podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. So download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started today. And we are back on Lauer After Hours. This is Mike Ryan Fan Account, and today we are joined by one of our own fans, Samo, who is a huge sumo wrestling fan, comes on to talk about the sport and the big tournament that's actually currently going on. Look up the Tokyo Grand Sumo Tournament going from July 19th until August 2nd. We had a blast and hope you do as well. Enjoy. All right. Welcome to Lauer After Hours. Uh, Samuel Crack previously, just in the last 20 seconds, dubbed Samo, uh, is our going to be our resident sumo wrestling expert. Um, Samuel, I think you uh, reached out uh, uh, to uh, Coach Debro, one of the Lauer Rangers uh, on the pod, uh, basically um, with a very very, I read your email and it is incredibly, like I was fascinated the entire time and sumo wrestling is just not something that I've even really thought about following, um, uh, the specificity of obviously everybody's familiar with it. I played street fighter. I remember E Honda, like, you know, the, the, those are kind of, unfortunately for such a rich cultural, uh, historical sport. Those are like some of the only, I think, touchstones Americans have for this sport. Do you mind, before we, we kind of get into the questions and the way this works is I throw it to each one of the Lauer Rangers, we've come with questions for you today. Um, could you just give like a brief rundown of, of uh, basically what you touched on in your email as how you uh, became fascinated by the sport? Sure. Um, so I'm, I'm a Philly sports guy, normally have been my whole life. My family always has been. Uh, my grandparents were pretty avid travelers and Japan was a place they uh, would always go to. Uh, about 10 times or so they've been. So they took me when I was 13 and uh, trying to keep the interest of a, of a teenager who's into sports, they turned me on to Japanese baseball. And they said, you know, they played over here. They showed me some of the uniforms and stuff. Um, so got there. To me, it was interesting, but not all that interesting. To me, it was kind of like minor league ball. Um, but I happened to see sumo on TV and I went, whoa, what is this? Like these right. human beings. Um, and I had really not even heard of it at that point at 13 years old. Um, so it was cool. I was watching it. 
And then I don't know if you've seen, if you've ever seen the uh, ornate uh, kind of dresses they wear, the gowns they wear before the match. Yeah. The biggest sumo wrestler out of all of them had a giant Statue of Liberty on his uh, gown, but oh. it appeared to be, you know, Asian to, to the eye. So kind of like, what's this? So we start looking around. There's no internet back then. So I start asking around what's going on. So this guy, his name is Kunishiki. He's actually a Samoan, a Hawaiian Samoan. So he was an American wrestler. Okay. Um, and he was 500 plus pounds and dominated the league. And that really got me into it. Um, so fast forward all these years later, I still watch all the matches. I follow all the, all the wrestlers. A lot of things have changed since then, but to me, it's still interesting. continues to be. That's a cool, uh, I, I could imagine being able to see that up close uh, as such a young kid. Yeah, that, that has got to be, uh, I know the phrase larger than life gets used, uh, you know, kind of overused, quite frankly, but uh, that's basically the definition of it right there as a 13-year-old getting to see that stuff up close. Yep. Um, all right, we're going to uh, toss it to Coach Debro uh, since she was the one that, uh, that, that put us in touch with you. Coach, go for it. Yeah. Hey, Samo. Uh, love the new nickname. It's very cool. I hope you love it as well. Uh, this is really exciting. This is our first like fan reach out and it's kind of on par with our whole show about a show about a show. We've got a fan of fan of fans. So thank you for being with us. My pleasure. And your background looks like professional ESPN. You have a lot of sports memorabilia. Yeah, this is all the stuff I've been collecting my whole life. And you, you're seeing right behind me the my desk. But it basically goes around the whole room. Um, it's mostly Philly sports. And then I do have a sumo corner with my stuff from sumo, too. So That's awesome. So uh, your email, again, was super informative and great. But there are some things in here that my brain can't even try to say. Um, specifically, the top ranks. Can you list the ranks? Yes. Yeah, so the so it's kind of like a pyramid, the league. Um, there's the most wrestlers, as you'd imagine, like kind of down at the bottom. As it goes up, there's fewer and fewer. Um, so the top rank, Yokozuna, is probably something people have heard of. I think there was a WWF guy named in that too. So Yokozuna. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So it's the top rank. Um, right now, there are only two Yokozuna in the league. Um, a couple years ago, I think there was four, which was the most there had been in a while, but um, there's no rules as to how many there can be at a time. There's just stringent rules of how to get there. So you got, you got your Yokozuna. The next rank is Ozeki. Um, the next rank, Sekawake. The next rank, Komusube. And the next rank, uh, Megashira. So out of those five ranks, you got about 40 to 45 guys, and that's the top division. That's like the big leagues. Um, so that's the top division. Uh, an interesting part about every match is you can win the tournament, but aside from just winning the tournament, how well you do will impact your rank. So kind of think of it as like relegation in soccer. Um, you know, you can, you keep on winning you keep on moving up. And if you really dominate for a long time, you can get the Yokozuna. Very cool. It sounds a lot cooler hearing those words because reading them, I'm like, I can't. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I have one more question. Uh, obviously, the sport is huge. It says here uh, there's 615 total wrestlers in that group, correct? So the top division, Makinuchi, is just like 40, 45. That's the big leagues. The 600 would include essentially like all the minor leagues. And um, gotcha. the okay. majority of those guys are amateur night and paid. They're just dedicating their life to it, fighting to hopefully make a dollar someday doing it. Wow, that's awesome. So what kind of crowds do these draw, like on a scale of like uh, Manchester United to Marlins Wednesday night? 
Yeah. So it's it's not a huge sport in Japan, believe it or not. Baseball, basketball are actually even bigger over there. So it's not only obscure for us and you guys, it's actually somewhat obscure for them even over there. But um, an arena, I actually went to the July tournament last year. Um, and the arena, I would say, is kind of like a basketball arena. Um, I think there's maybe about 15,000 seats in it. Um, and all of those wrestlers, all of those levels um, wrestle in every tournament. So it starts about eight o'clock in the morning. Think of like a concert with an opening band or, you know, eight opening bands. So it starts at like eight in the morning and it finishes at 630 at night. And um, since I'd gone all the way across the globe, I went at eight o'clock in the morning and there was a dozen people there. And by the end, the thing's (laughs) packed. So I think long way around to answer your question, I think it's about 15,000 people. Uh, But a tournament runs two weeks. So, you know, I think uh, it's going to be not as packed at the beginning and then more packed towards the end. You know, People got to pace themselves. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) That's awesome. Well, thank you so much for answering my questions. I'll toss it to back to Christy then. Cool. All right. Uh, John in Miami has a question next. John, go for it, man. Hey, Samuel. Um, so you, you mentioned earlier um, about uh, being a betting man. And do you bet sometimes uh, sumo? I, I never have. Um, the uh, I checked FanDuel doesn't have it. I, I, you know, I look, I use FanDuel sometimes. Um, you can, I don't know exactly where, but if you look online, there are odds. Um, so, all right. Well, I ask because, um, I, I read several, several years ago, I think it was a wired article about the corruption, um, in sumo. Yeah. And, um, and I know that from, from other readings that historically there was, um, there was kind of a gentleman's corruption in which if you were set, you know, like seven, seven, and the other person was already guaranteed eight wins. Uh, he would kind of throw the fight in, in, in uh, so the other person could advance. But it, it came to light that the Yakuza um, was really into the, the um, uh, fight fixing. Yeah. And so um, I wonder how, how that, how could that, um, how could anyone bet sumo? I guess they do it in boxing also because boxing is pretty, pretty well uh, synonymous with, <laughs> with, uh, corruption, but, mm-hmm. um, why would anybody bet if it's so rampant, if Yakuza has their, um, their finger, half a finger in the, in the pie? Yeah, that's, it, it's good research you had too. And there was, so th- uh, there was a couple years ago, they, they really cracked down on the Yakuza being at the matches and controlling it. But even, and I'm not sure which story you're reading, about 20 years ago, there was a pretty big scandal. Is that the one, like 20 years ago range? Yeah, and, and then I saw some other ones. Um, but I think the big one that I remember, and again, I thought it was in Wired, was, yeah. was that. And, and it yeah. seemed to have been uh, also politically motivated in where yeah. the police were, were um, they thought that this public showing of Yakuza mm-hmm. um, out and the matches and and yeah. that was the 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 breaking point for them and so they went after the yakuza so it was almost like a an, a, a well-known secret mm-hmm. um that that's what i was referring to but then i read some other articles just for for this interview 
Yeah, about about 20, 30 years ago, there was a really big scandal that involved, uh, you know, fight fixing. Um, you know, there was roughly a third of the top division was implicated in the thing. So it was pretty rampant. And all of the wrestlers involved resigned in shame. And there was uh, the stable masters, which are essentially the coaches, the same thing. So it was a huge thing. And, you know, the Japanese culture is extremely honorable. And, you know, any crime is looked upon really really badly so when these guys resigned in shame i mean that's kind of basically the end of their career um i think for a while it was sort of deemed more legitimate um and then just two or three years ago yakuza started increasing their uh, their vis- visibility at the matches if you don't know uh, who if you guys don't know what yakuza are they're basically the gangsters there it's the one kind of real mafia presence they're the guys that have like the tattoos, real ornate tattoos everywhere on their body. Um, and anyway, so up, I think about two or three years ago, there started being noticeable Yakuza presence at the matches. And when you watch on TV, you see the first, second, third row, like a boxing match, even more prevalent than a boxing match. And you can see rows of the known guys there. Um, so they very recently basically just banned every Yakuza from the matches just in itself kind of a dangerous thing because these guys control a lot of things that are dangerous. But the um, now the wrestling federation totally, you know, denounces it, outwardly denounces it. Um, if I were a better, I may still be concerned that there could be some, uh, you know, involvement. There's every once in a while I'm watching a match and I sort of see something a little surprising and I go, um, you know, so it, it's, it's certainly not WWF. It's not scripted, but it's not impossible that there could be some kind of, you know, interaction. Uh, one other thing real quick, too. I think it, the one 20 or 30 years ago, I think significantly impacted the, the decrease in um, popularity in the sport in Japan. I think that everybody looked at even more than we look at something and say, I can't trust it. For them, where it's so honorable, they said, you know, we can't trust this. So, all right. Up next, we've got uh, steak sauce in Albuquerque. Steak sauce, go for it, man. Hey, what's up, Samuel? Thanks for joining us. Um, I'm a uh, degenerate gambler, and I never even thought about betting on sumo. So, thanks for uh, bringing that to my attention. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm uh, I'm six two two forty. I was uh, two fifty about two weeks ago, three weeks ago. Okay. How big do would I have to get to be a sumo wrestler? And what should I do to get that big? So there's one guy that's your size currently in the league. And um, by the way, there are no weight classes. So when I say that top division, that's top division period, no weight classes. Um, so there's one guy, his name is Enho, and um, he is 99 kilos, which is, you know, 240, 250. When you look at him, he looks like, you know, like Allen Iverson used to look like back in the day amongst, you know, basketball players. Um, <laughs> the, the top the, the biggest guy in the league is about 450, 460. Um, Kaisei, he's a, Brit- he's a Brazilian wrestler. So those guys, Enho and Kaisei, basically have to fight each other at least once a match. So 250 versus 450 in a match. So that's pretty interesting. Um, so you could do it now is the short answer. But the best wrestlers are usually about 330 to 350. That's sort of the ideal range. The guy like Enho has really good tactics. He can, he can, you know, get around people and then kind of get their own momentum working against them. But there are times when he just gets crushed or he gets thrown into the crowd. Like, so it's sort of hit or miss. Like he's got to win kind of hokey against a real big guy. Um, but anytime he wins, the crowd goes ballistic for, of course, the, the little guy. 
um, the farther out of their end of the scale, the, the huge guys, you can see they don't have the, the, you know, the agility to deal with smaller guys. And, and by the way, even though these guys are huge, they have all this fat on them. They're all super strong. Like they're unbelievably strong. You can tell even more in person than on TV, but, um, so that's why that like middle range, like 350 is your ideal weight. And like the, the best sumo wrestler of all time is in his prime right now. He wrestles at 340 and he's just the best combination of power, speed, you know, all that stuff. Um, what do you have to do to put on that kind of weight? Um, how many meals do you think a sumo wrestler eats a day? What would you guess? Like oh, many. Eight, 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 eight. So most people guess high. The answer is two. And if that sounds <laughs> weird. What? Two. So it's a very specific way of, of eating and, you know, what you eat. So they have this stew called Chaco Nabe, which I don't know exactly what it translates to, but it basically translates to like anything in a pot. Um, <laughs> but what it is, like the stew will have, you know, it has noodles, it has, you know, chicken, beef, pork, it's got a whole bunch of protein, it's got all these vegetables. And so what they do is they, they wake up in the morning, they train on an empty stomach, um, and then they have this big meal and then they go to sleep in the middle of the day and they sleep two, three, four hours and they let all that stuff soak in. Then they wake up, they wrestle again, three, four hours, have another giant meal, go to sleep. So it's kind of like two days in one, every day is two days in one day of just packing this stuff on. And, you know, and then by the way, when these guys retire and they stop doing that, they drop the weight tremendously. Uh, I saw a guy that just retired uh, when I was there. I saw him in person. He had retired six months ago and he had already dropped 100 pounds just because he's not doing that crazy regimen anymore. You know? On top of that, as far as um, what they eat to get ready, is there a strict um, testing system in there as far as uh, steroids go? <laughs> I, I don't know of any steroids. Um, again, like anything's possible, but I think I, I think it's just the, the packing on the carbs and the protein. Um, and, and then when you sleep and you eat all that and you sleep right directly after it, it soaks in, you know. So I eat a lot and I sleep a lot. So basically I'm just missing the training. Pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> Snake also drinks a lot too. I don't know. Uh, I don't know how much alcohol intake these uh, these guys are consuming. Uh, Mike Ryan fan account has a uh, a good follow up question to that. Go ahead. Yeah, so I was just kind of wondering, um, you know, what do you, do you know about what their caloric intake is for the day? Does it change a lot depending on the training? Um, and then a follow up to that would be, what type of training are they doing? Is it mostly weight training? Yeah, there's there's not a whole lot of cardio. Um, I, I don't know the caloric intake. Um, I know these stews don't they don't drastically differ too much from like one stable to the other. I've seen some programs where they went into like who the, the cook was at a particular stable and he mixes it up a little bit to keep it interesting, but I don't know the caloric intake. I mean, it's a ton for sure. Um, the training. So they, they, they live it. You've heard me say stables a couple of times. It's kind of funny because you know, you think of it as the horse, you know, stable, but a stable is basically like a, um, uh, sort of the place that they live and train, they do everything in these. So the young guys will go to a stable and live there full time and basically give up their normal like social life. And they train, they eat, they sleep and everything there. Um, they have chauffeurs driving around and, and things like that. They're not getting paid, but they're essentially like dedicating their lives to live at these things. Um, if you see the training there, it, it's a lot of it is practice wrestling, but they'll also do things like, um, like one guy will just stand still and the other guy will just push him all the way across the ring, and then they'll switch vice versa. So it's it's power, it's pushing, it's legs, 
Um, I don't know if you've seen the funny thing where they like lift the one leg all the way up in the air and then stomp it down. Um, there's, there's about 10 to 12 like main exercise things that they do with regularity. And as silly as they look, if you try to do it, it's actually pretty hard. And um, some of these guys are 400 pounds and lifting their leg completely above their head and then stomping it back down on the ground. It's pretty impressive. So I don't know if, don't know if I answered your question, but uh, you can you can actually see the stables. Um, it's something I, I regret not doing it on there, but you can visit them. You can you know, kind of, I mean, you got permission, of course, but you can actually go in and watch them train some if you go through the, the right channel. So someday. Wow. That's cool. All right. Next up, we've got uh, Anthony out of Brooklyn. Anthony, go for it, man. Hey, Samo. I'm going to change a little bit of the tact here. So I got a Philly question for you. Okay. And I'm sure you can guess where I'm going with this. Pat's or Geno's? <laughs> I, I can't answer because I've never actually been to Geno's. Okay. If I go, if I go down the past young, I'm, I'm only going to Pat's. That, that's okay. my opinion. But I, I mean, Geno's is the, the fancy one with all the bright neon lights and Pat's is sort of the the one that looks like it's straight out of Rocky, you know? Um, so I'm, I'm, <laughs> oh, yeah, I was going to go down the path of, so I guess you're provolone over cheese whiz and you're looking at, you like to meet diced versus sliced. So I was just trying to get your, or if there's one you prefer over Pat's and Gino's, you know, if you said, uh, I'd prefer this spot actually for this or this or this. So, so Sandro's has gained a lot of, um, a lot of steam in recent years. I think that's out in Conchahokan. Um, I, I still like Pat's. Um, I like it. I like it sliced cheese whiz works. Um, I put ketchup on it. Some people call that a violation, but I don't care. So, <laughs> do, you put mustard? do you put mustard on yours? I, don't I was just going there, Danielle. Sorry. That's <laughs> okay. I don't put mustard on it, but I don't begrudge anybody for putting whatever the hell they want on their cheesesteak. One of my closest friends puts mayo right. on it, which kind of sounds oh. gross, but I try to. Uh, I, I put mayo on mine. I'm right there with you. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Plus Thanks, one for that. Hey, <laughs> Sam, you were up next, my man. Go for it. Yeah, before my wrestling question, just to piggyback that, uh, how do you order your Philly cheesesteak? So, like, in Pat's, if you take more than three seconds to order, they kick you out of line. It might be. Right. So, um, so whiz without. Okay. One whiz without. That's it. That's all you got to say. And that's a that's a cheesesteak, no onions and cheese whiz. So, one whiz without. Perfect. Order. That's awesome. Earlier, earlier you mentioned uh, the best wrestler right now is around 340 pounds. What did you say his name was? Hakuho. His name's okay. Haku Ho. I'm going to write that down. How does he compare to say, in your opinion, the best wrestler of all time? Well, he, so he is the best wrestler of all time. Oh. Um, in terms of numbers. Now this is a league, the sports 2000 years old. Um, the, the made, you know, the professional league, so to speak is about 600 years old. So could there have been someone 400 years ago that's better? Maybe, I don't know. Um, it's sort of like the Will Chamberlain, Michael Jordan, you know, discussion, but. Right. So Bahakuho has um, 46 championships. So he's won 46 tournaments, which you could sort of, there's six a year. So you could sort of compare it to like a golf major, I guess. Um, and he's a Yokozuna. He's got 46. The second most of an active wrestler is six. And wow. he's also a Yokozuna. He's the same rank as this other guy. So it's Whoa. so drastically different. And, um, and he's, he's really the favorite in every single tournament to go in. So it's, it's kind of like when Tiger Woods was, was on his streak. It's like, you take Tiger, you take the field. That's what it is. It's like, you take Hako, you take the field right now. Excellent. Thank you. All right. Um, I actually have a quick question. Is there a, uh, uh, basically after these guys retire, do they live long, healthy lives or do we see, you know, unfortunately similar to pro wrestling, 
are there a lot of younger deaths in the sumo world uh, once these guys are done? Yeah, I I know the um, I know several of the uh, the more popular, more famous ones um, have, go on to live. You know, will have other careers after the guy Kunishki that I mentioned, the six hundred pound American, became a singer after he got out. And he was a really popular singer in Japan after that. But I think these guys, they're all big when it comes to frame, but they all put so much weight on for this. So most of them, I think, go back to relatively normal um, afterwards. Right. It's certainly possible some of the lower name guys that I, you know, that I might not know. There's, there could be some health issues, you know. Gotcha. Gotcha. John, I think you got some uh, more questions. I think John's been doing his, he's definitely been doing his research. Well, one of them, one of them actually dovetails nicely with what you were just asking, because um, having read about their training regimen, and uh, everything that goes, uh, in, or everything that's involved in in uh, in the training, it, it comes that there's no um, there's no sparring, right? It's a hundred percent full on uh, every time they train. And so, um, what have you heard about or read about with respect to CTE in this in this sport, um, which which dovetails into what um, Crispy was saying? Uh, as they, as they get older, they're, they're taking all these hits, lots of headbutts, um, yeah. lots of slaps that, you know, have you heard anything? Are they interested in that? Are they reading about it? Is it yeah, in I, the public, uh, you know, mind? Yeah. I, I don't think there's much, um, I don't think there's much formal discussion about it. I don't think it's talked about as much and it, and it certainly should be. So it, like, I, I think they're probably behind, you know, the NFL and, and that kind of, in, in that progression. But yeah, if you watch a match, Basically, you know, they start like start like almost like a sprinter getting ready to run, and when they go, almost always they bash their heads together like right to start. And you think about all the force and momentum behind them, and they bash their heads together. So I would have to imagine there's got to be some sort of long term impact. Um, there's no open fist punching, but you can like go back to E Honda. Remember when he would go like that? You can yeah. you can slap as hard as you can. So you'll see some guys are known as kind of slappers and different things like that. So there is a lot of head contact. There's definitely, you know, brain knocking around. So I don't know the answer if they're, if they're doing anything or there's um, history of it, but there's got to be some impact on these guys. And most of the time, they, you know, a normal retirement age is about 30. So I don't know if, if you're in a, a real impact sport like that. I guess if you get out earlier, it's better. It's still not great, but you're doing it longer, you're certainly going to you know, bash your head more. You know. But they start, they start very early in these stables. Um, the parents kind of, you know, want to see it as a, as, as from what I, correct me if I'm wrong, from what I see it, they want to less and less now because they think they can make a better living, whatever, delivering, uh, driving a delivery truck or something. But they would put them there to try to straighten them out or keep them out of trouble, or at least hopefully they could make some money. And yeah. so they start so early and because their training happens and it's a hundred, they go at it full, full bore every time, even during your training, it's like they're having all these tournaments right. over and over and over again every day. Um, so at 30, they, they probably have the, the impact of, you know, but. Yeah. And, you know, I think so that all that, that is certainly true. And so many of them don't make it. And even the guys at the very top are not making that much money. There's definitely the, the discipline part of it is a big deal. Um, the regimentation that goes into the training of these things. And I think a lot of people will go in you know, do it in college. It's a, it's a common thing in college. So maybe they, they do it, they get the regimentation, maybe they get a little bit of a name for themselves and they go into their next career and then 
they have extra, they have that Nate, that notoriety of, oh, he was a sumo wrestler, I'll buy my car from him, or you do my taxes kind of thing. I think very few of them get to the end and very few of them actually really make any money in the real. These guys are, are viewed as rock stars over there. Aren't they like, like they're, they're, uh, they, uh, I've seen pictures of these dudes partying, uh, and they look like they are the life of the party for sure. They get, they get uh, chauffeured everywhere. They're not allowed to drive. They have to be driven by a chauffeur. They have, they have to have the long hair, once they commit to it, they have a long hair at the top knot. So yeah, there's a there's a, a huge honor, a huge um, uh, you know stardom around it. But even Hakuo at the very top makes about half a million dollars a year. If you think about, it, you compare that to our athletes, it's kind of preposterous. You know? Yeah, yeah. Is, All right, is who's the sport dying? Is the sport is the sport uh, dying in in a sense? I, I mean, if less people are getting into the sport and and there's more impact and more CTE stuff starts to come out. Uh, what do you think the future of the sport is? Yeah, certainly with the giant, um, with the big uh, corruption, you know, 20 years ago or some, I think it, it like, it, you really could have been argued it was dying there and it may have been on the brink. Um, it, it's coming, you know, coming back and then trying to distance from the Yakuza, I think is their hope in, in keeping it going. Um, I certainly hope it's not dying. I love it, <laughs> but um, it's, it really is, you know, third, fourth, maybe fifth kind of biggest sport over there. So it's maybe, you know, it's something like small, you know, for us. Right. So do a lot of these guys have like, is this like a second job or a hobby? No, they, it can't be that because you got to, you got to live in those stables um, the whole time when you're coming up. It's really only until you get to the, really the top that those guys can actually like have a wife and have a house and and live at home. So no, I don't think so. Wow. It's uh, it can't be part time, you know. I mean, maybe a college guy, but not not if you're in the big leagues. So they're like food and board is covered by. Yeah, yeah. So they living at the stable. Their the food and board is paid. There's sponsors. So when you win a match, the way by the way, the way these guys get paid, two guys get ready to square off, and then they bash their heads together, and then whoever wins, they hand them a fat envelope of cash right there on the ring, like right after it's over. Kind of oh so wow. Get paid after every single match in front of everybody. So, um, and the, the interesting thing there is, and the sponsors put up the money for that. So if little guy is facing Hakuho, the sponsors are putting up 30 grand for Hakuho and 2000 for, for the little guy, but whoever wins it gets all of it. So the little guy upsets the big guy and he gets his payday. So, um, so that's kind of an interesting part. It's like literally match to match getting paid you know huh. guy was making like a half million is that just from all the matches he's won or is there some additional sort of he can get a sponsor of you know i don't know toyota or whoever yeah. can also be a sponsor for him to help with his stable training and his room board yeah the, the certainly sponsorship would be separate when i say half a million that's really like from the sport i'm okay. sure Hakuho has millions of dollars of endorsements i'm sure some of the other big name guys will have endorsements also uh, but the sport itself is essentially like sponsor-driven, match by match. They, they don't make money much from the sport if they can build their um, their fame. Then I'm working come from that, I suppose. And so, given the past scandals, do you think, like you know, Chris was talking about this earlier, that them being sort of rock stars, are they still looked upon that way? Are they still like when they retire? Are they still like, oh God, it's you know, it, it it's the former champion or whatever, or, or is that? diminished in the eyes of some of the older generation in Japan that was sort of disappointed by the scam. I'm sure some of the older generations don't trust it overall. Um, 
I think the the avid followers see what you know it, it was a purge before they got rid of all the bad blood and, and like I said it was deep I mean they got rid of not only a third of the wrestlers in the top division but all the stables that were training the, the bad guys and everything so there's even a few guys left that were uh in somehow involved back at that time but they're just deemed clean they're they were you know they weren't involved in any of that stuff so I'm sure there's a large population that just can't ever trust it again, but there's, but it's still, it still has its popularity. They do pack the house every match. And so it has its own following. Okay. Thanks. Hey, Sam, I think you had another question. Yeah. Real quick for those listening to this and want to start including myself, maybe watching some matches, where would you recommend that we catch a match? Uh, cable, TV, internet? I mean, wh- what do you do when you're yeah. not there? Of course. Right. <laughs> so there's a, um, there's a, there's a television network called NHK, which is a, which is an Asian news network. It's an, it's a news network um, program and they um, NHK broadcasts in a million different languages for, for all different you know countries. Um, they have the current sponsorship with uh, Sumo for, for televised uh, events. Um, so when, so the next event is July 19th. That's the next uh, match. Um, so July 19th, it starts and it runs two weeks. It always starts and stops on a Sunday. So what NHK will do, um, and I don't think there's anything up yet, but about a week before, they'll start posting like a preview uh, show where it tells you who got promoted, who got demoted, what kind of storylines there are, um, go through other you know various things. And then every day of the matches, I had mentioned the matches run 8 a.m. to 6.30 p.m. Um, every day they'll have a half hour summary. It's the red zone of sumo. And that's what we, that's what we get on NHK. So all it is, I mean, it really is quite literally the red zone, red zone. So it, it starts, these guys line up, they wrestle, go. And then the next one, you know, go. And even though there's really like 15, 20 minutes between each match, you, you get to see all the action in a half an hour. So what I would recommend, if you want to start, watch the first preview show when it comes up and then watch a couple of the first matches. Um, as it goes, it gets better and better. And the last match, the last, you know, we, of the two weeks, you'll have the two Yokozuna against each other. Sometimes it's for the tournament and, uh, you know, maybe, maybe you get caught early and, uh, and and it'll, it'll, you'll watch to the end. Awesome. Thanks, man. Samo, Sam Kravitz. Um, thank you so much for joining us. I think we're definitely going to have to have you on again because, We barely scratched the surface of that email and the, you mentioned briefly the storylines that are involved every time one of these tournaments come around. That is something I really like, I found fascinating in particular, uh, whether there could be an upper echelon, uh, American sumo wrestler, um, just, uh, culturally speaking. So, um, I think we should definitely have you on again to kind of explain that part uh, if you're willing to come back on. I'd love to come back, guys. I appreciate you guys being interested in the sport. I thought I was like the only one in the country. <laughs> <laughs> hey, well, when somebody is as passionate about it as you are, it makes it easy to to uh, get into it for sure. Exactly. All right. Sam Kravitz, thank you again for being on. I am at Crispy Scream on Twitter. Uh, this is Lauer After Hours. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Bye. Bye. Thanks, Adam. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, Sam, you like Lucha Libre? I have, you ever, there. have you ever pooped yourself? I, not since I was four or five. Damn it. Okay, they had to ruin it. That was so professional. That was so well done. Being the shower, though. Do you pee in the shower? We let you finish before we asked it. Hey, he gets the show. People that get the show. I know he does. I'm just busting y'all. Only to save water, though. 
Thank you so much for joining us. I truly love every single one of you. Yes, even you, Bruce. The support has been overwhelming. At the time of recording, we're ranked 42nd on Apple's top charts for sports. If there's someone you would like on, at them on Twitter and at Lauer After Hours. Our guest booking cyborg will do his best to get them on. Toodles! If you're struggling with alcohol or drugs, Recovery Centers of America can help. RCA's local inpatient and outpatient programs are founded on science and delivered with heart from an expert caring team who will inspire and guide you every step of the way. Go to rcahelp.com slash podcast for more information on how to get treatment. At RCA, you'll be in a community that builds connections and fosters support from peers and RCA's team of medical professionals. At RCA's state-of-the-art campuses, they tailor your treatment to you and also offer specialized programs for patients with history of trauma or relapse, for young adults, for adults 50-plus, for the LGBTQ plus community, a confidential program for first responders and service members, and a faith-based program. Recovery Centers of America accepts patients 24-7 and is in network with most insurance providers. Don't wait. Go to rcahelp.com slash podcast for help. rcahelp.com slash podcast.